0: the redshirt collective
1: a star trek watch along podcast where we analyze and talk about all seven seasons of star trek the next generation from a radical leftist perspective
0: so energized with earl gray tea and chocolate from the replicator
1: set your phasers to fun
0: and prepare to engage ready captain
1: yes captain make Make it it so welcome aboard hey
0: nick hey mike
1: Uh, So what are we talking about today?
0: Today we are talking about Season 1, Episode 1, Parts 1 and (laughs) 2, Encounter at Farpoint.
1: Because one part just wouldn't have been enough.
0: Oh no, we had to jam in all the things to the first episode.
1: Yeah, so do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened in this um, pilot of pilots?
0: Sure. Uh, Sit back, get comfortable, because this is a meaty recap. All right. First episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. We are in space, and it is the 24th century. We join the crew on the bridge of the brand new Starship Enterprise on their first mission, which is to snoop around Farpoint Station, the new Bandy Starbase, as there have been some mysterious reports about it floating around. On their way, the Enterprise is intercepted by the godlike trickster known only as Q who tells them to turn back and return to Earth because he feels humans have advanced too far technologically too fast compared to how they've evolved ethically, and he does not want them any further into space than they already have gone. Q claims that humans are a fundamentally violent species and cannot be trusted. Captain Jean-Luc Picard, in typical early seasons fashion, escalates the (laughs) fuck out of the situation unnecessarily, Becoming enraged at the accusation, arguing that humans have evolved, and all of those violent shenanigans are firmly in our past. Picard antagonizes Q, inspiring Q to put humanity on trial. Q disappears after a promise to be back soon. Picard decides to risk the lives of his crew by quite enthusiastically ordering a maneuver that Data says is only hypothetically possible, hoping to catch a Q off guard and make a quick getaway. This does not work, of course, as he is an omnipotent, immortal being—a fact that Picard is well aware of at this point. <laughs> Picard orders the saucer sep, which is actually the phrase he used. Saucer sep.
1: Yeah, he did. He well, definitely <laughs> did say that.
0: <laughs> he did. I had uh, I had the captions on at that point. Uh-huh. The subtitles. And I was like, what? And I went back and rewinded it because I was like, he actually said that. (laughs) Was that
1: a saucer sep in there? Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Was that a saucer sep? So he orders the saucer separation while they're at maximum acceleration and somehow no one dies. Picard surrenders himself and the skeleton crew he's kept with him and they end up in an old-timey trial where they have to answer to the charge of being a grievously savage race. Mm
1: -hmm. And let's... Let's not forget that there were just very appropriate period costumes for that, too.
0: (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. I was like, what is happening right now? Uh, Admitting humans have been savage in the past, but are much more evolved now, Picard pleads with Q to test their crew to see where humanity stands today. Q agrees, sending the crew back on their way to Farpoint Station, where he says... They will be tested more than they can even imagine.
1: And can we just say that he did really not come through on that at least from my perspective?
0: No. He didn't at all. <laughs> like, I was
1: like that's the test. Jeez. It was just
0: like a regular regular, you know, I know, outing for the crew. It was not a big deal. I
1: expected more from a double episode, but pff, okay. I did too. All right.
0: So, Eww. we then join we'll will Oh my god, sometimes <laughs> my Texas comes out and it just hits me unaware. <laughs> all right back in the saddle here we go we then join will Riker, aka number one on farpoint station where things seem a bit off the station's been built too well too quickly and the crew find things that they've expressed desire for appearing out of nowhere the groppler zorn the bandy leader that they are dealing with is very sketchy when questioned about any of these facts The Enterprise arrives without its saucer section, and Riker beams aboard to debrief with the captain. They play Riker a weird little video that they apparently somehow spent time putting together clips of what happened with Q (laughs) to show him, and then when he's done watching this video, he meets to speak with Picard privately. (laughs) <laughs> Picard is kind of an asshole towards Riker for, like, absolutely no reason. And their conversation establishes Picard as our archetypal, stiff, patriarchal leader who doesn't like children. I,
1: I think he's just jealous of Riker's butt chin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't be? Especially in the 80s. Of course. We go to the sickbay where we learn that Geordie LaForge, who is eventually our chief engineer but is actually right now just a helmsman and who has been blind all his life, gets headaches from his visor, which allows him to see through the electromagnetic spectrum from heat and infrared all the way through light and radio waves. Bev Crusher, the ship's doctor, tells him his only options at the moment are painkillers or exploratory brain surgery, both of which apparently will impact the efficacy of the visor. Jordy declines either options, and we leave this here for now, though it will become more relevant in a later episode. Mm,
1: Yeah. And also, can we just say that, like, for people of a certain age, seeing uh, Jordy LaForge in Star Trek and Reading Rainbow was just a real life changing event.
0: Dude, I am a lifetime LeVar Burton Stan because I was such a Reading Rainbow kid, and I was such a Star Trek nerd. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, he he's like us.
0: one of those comforting people, you know, mm-hmm. just anytime I see him, I'm like, please don't be terrible. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if I was on my deathbed, I think I'd want him to be standing next to me. I think Aww. I'd feel better, <laughs> you know, it's going to be okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Poor LeVar Burton, he'd be like, why am I here? What, who, is
1: this? <laughs> who is this guy?
0: <laughs> who is this guy? Oh, God. All right. So then we learn that Lieutenant Commander Data is an android in a conversation with visiting Admiral Leonard McCoy, mm. chief medical officer from the original series, who is suspiciously avoidant of the transporter and is very touchy about his age, which happens to be 137 years old.
1: <laughs> if you're keeping track.
0: If you're keeping track, which he is quite pissed that Data is doing. <laughs> Riker and Counselor Deanna Troy meet unexpectedly on the bridge and make heavy, panting, <laughs> hot eyes at each other.
1: Yeah, they do, <laughs> and, and and I think Picard is like, "Oh, are you familiar with each other's capabilities?" <laughs> like, is this turning into softcore porn? Did, I know, this like, what is
0: happening? <laughs> and also, I think we're supposed to know that Picard's like kind of this awkward person, mm-hmm. maybe, like that he's like. This in charge guy, but he's also kind of awkward. <laughs> and it's just such a moment where it's like they're clear, like anyone would be like, oh. And he's like, oh, good, you two know each other. That's great. Just like yeah. not picking up on all of the gobs of sexual tension. Yeah,
1: yep. Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, we learned Tro- Troy taught him how to communicate telepathically with her at some point in the past and that they have some kind of intense romantic history. Captain Picard proceeds to make some delicious, unintentional innuendos after discovering they already know each other while they're all on the lift. Back on Farpoint Station, Troy picks up on pain, pain, loneliness, terrible loneliness, despair. Pain. Pain. Loneliness. Loneliness, despair. Coming from an unidentified entity in the city. Picard's questions about this to grappler Zorn sends Zorn into a temper tantrum with him threatening to partner with the Frangi instead. Picard is not impressed and calls out his threats as empty. Back on the Enterprise, we get to see the holodeck for the first time as Riker goes to find Data while Data is trying to master whistling in a forest simulation. We learn that Data would give up his superior qualities to be human and that Riker doesn't totally feel comfortable working with a machine, all of which will be relevant in a later episode. I
1: feel like you could attach that that last clause onto almost every single moment in this episode, too. They were like, you know, <laughs> yes. oh, Data doesn't get a joke. Oh, there's a holodeck. Oh, Picard's an asshole. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, this will all come back later. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, We join Wesley Crusher telling his mother, Bev, that he is very excited to be living on the Enterprise and that he very much wants to see the bridge, which we learn is supposedly off-limits to children. Through their conversation, we also learn that Bev Crusher is certainly not scared of the captain. Picard does allow Wesley to come back to the bridge after learning he's Bev's son, given that he has a deep connection to the boy's dead father, but he's still a dick about it. Wesley is extremely knowledgeable about the Enterprise, but is quickly kicked off the bridge as a proximity alert for a strange, massive, mysterious ship comes in. The mysterious ship begins firing at Farpoint Station as the crew on the station continues to investigate the feelings of pain and loneliness that Troy is picking up on, the mystery of the station growing deeper by the minute. Picard, frustrated with the situation, orders Riker to kidnap Zorn in illegal action— Picard also orders security officer Tasha Yar to lock phasers on the ship. Mm -hmm. And then Q appears. Of course he does. Did you forget about him? Because I did, because this episode (laughs) is so unnecessarily fucking long. Yeah. (laughs) Q accuses Picard of jumping to the violent solution and being unconcerned with the citizens suffering below. But Picard counters by demonstrating that Bev Crusher is already in the process of leading an away team to go provide medical care to the surface. One point Picard. Picard orders the Enterprise to be positioned between the ship and the surface, but they discover their controls are locked. On the surface, Riker and Data attempt to kidnap Zorn, Zorn, but he is zapped away in a purple light like the one coming from the mystery ship. They all beam back to the Enterprise. Troy picks up on a feeling of enormous satisfaction from the entity on the planet after Zorn's zapping. Try saying that three times fast. Picard and Riker bark at Q like little chihuahuas, impressing each other and apparently oppressing Q as well. Q calls Picard Mon Capitan for the first time, and history is made. (laughs) Riker, Data, Troy, and Yar all beam aboard the mysterious ship, and Troy picks up on hate and anger directed down towards the Bandy City. The ship resembles the tunnels below Farpoint Station. The crew then discovers Groppler Zorn being tortured in one of the rooms of the ship. Which
1: is strangely creepy, by the way. That scene, like, was, was a little bit disturbing. It was very creepy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was definitely... This whole episode was kind of a lot, like... Yes. In terms of, like, creep factor, like, if you were a kid, this would make you feel weird, you know?
1: Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, we have things to talk in about. In a
0: lot of ways. Yeah. Although, the next episode, talking about making you feel weird. Oh. But that's...
1: Okay, I mean, spoiler alert. That's for next yeah.
0: time. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Stay tuned for that. So they discover Grappler Zorn being tortured in one of the rooms of the ship, and Troy realizes that she senses two aliens, not one. And they realize, right as Q tells them that their time is up, the solution to the mystery. The mystery ship is not a ship, but a sentient being that can convert energy into matter, and the bandy have captured and enslaved its partner after finding it injured. There is, in fact, no Farpoint Station. It's all a manifestation of the creature. The crew blasts the floating entity's partner with energy from their phasers, bringing it up to full strength and allowing it to rejoin its beloved. The entities reveal their natural forms, which look like giant jellyfish, one pink, one blue, because gender binary. Oh, yeah. They float away together with a feeling of great joy and gratitude. Great joy and gratitude from both of them. (laughs) and everyone is happy except q who begrudgingly allows our intrepid crew to grow on their way for now
1: inexplicably by the way i was like wait what
0: quite inexplicably
1: (laughs) they were like oh guys we've already got a double episode we can't turn it into a triple (laughs) q just needs to randomly be okay with this solution right now
0: yeah yeah and it was Mm -hmm. so unclear the whole time like what The challenge actually was, was it to like solve the mystery? Yeah. Was it to do so? And like, it just didn't really make any sense what they were going for.
1: Yeah. Because
0: it's like, sure, he didn't blast, they didn't attack the other ship, but they did like try to kidnap this leader and do these, you know what I mean? Like, it just was like, where are we going with this? Like, what is the actual test here?
1: Well, yeah, like the whole premise of the trial, I thought was that like, oh, we don't you know we don't want um uh you know we we gotta prove that humanity's not really violent by nature or something, but I'm like, but that mm-hmm. has nothing to do with the rest of this episode like no, I, yeah, i I don't know where that came from,
0: no, anyway, even if they had yeah. fired on the ship, I don't think that would prove that they were violent by nature. no it would just prove they were defending this planet. Right. From an attack. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I have so many
1: problems with with that. I mean, even just the idea that, like, all the examples that, that the Q gives is, like, from mid-20th century history, basically, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's, like, speaking in Shakespearean English, like, kind of inexplicably. I'm like, really, yeah. guys? Like, so that's in the 24th century in this intergalactic starfleet, that's where we're at. We're speaking shakespearean english you
0: know (laughs) yeah the show's obsession with like that detective era that picard's obsessed with and then also like the shakespearean era is so frustrating to me yes it's like even just within human history that we have there's so much more and then also we're supposed to believe this is like hundreds of years in the future and we are now fully integrated with other alien species. And yet still so much <laughs> of our focus is constantly coming back to like this very specific time in human history. Yeah.
1: But World War II is the, is, that's the universal reference point, you know?
0: Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Picard just made himself look like a fucking clown yes. when Q was dressed in that uniform. And he's like, that costume, that costume. And I'm like... You are wearing a costume right now, sir. You are part of a colonizing military enterprise. Right. And you're trying to talk about how this is like disconnected and in the past and just so far removed from who you are today. And yet this, this ship is fully equipped with weapons to go blast some people if need be. Right. And you're out here colonizing space.
1: Yeah. What do you think a star base is, dude? (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah exactly <laughs> Like a
1: colonial outpost number 12 or whatever i mean it's yeah yeah, yeah. No.
0: and it's just such typical neoliberal like um logic that you know for instance we're supposed to be so disgusted with grappler zorn for enslaving this creature uh-huh. to build this star base but it's like but is that much better than other things that you guys are doing or supporting right i don't think so right yeah
1: yeah i i also just i mean shifting gears just a tiny bit from that i i was a little bit baffled by the introduction of q into the the pilot episode as well like i mean the yes. putting humanity on trial thing i can see okay like that's a that's kind of a pilot episode move but like Inter- like, like Q kind of seems to be like a jumping the shark kind of like, hey, we're all, we're all out of ideas. Let's introduce a character who's basically <laughs> omnipotent, and like you know can take on any. But form. also
0: like a like obsessed with humans for some reason, and <laughs> right. apparently doesn't have anything better to do, even though he's this like omnipotent immortal being. Yeah, he's like bored and he wants to go play with humans.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I was like, why are we doing this in the pilot, guys? Like, did Gene have any say over this, or did was somebody like, you know, that seems like that seems like a drunk writer's room kind of decision, right there? Like, <laughs> and you know, like it was definitely like an old white guy who's like, guys, I've got a great idea.
0: Guys, you're not <laughs> even gonna believe it. <laughs> You're not even gonna believe what I came up with.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it
0: feels like um it actually feels like a season finale to me mm-hmm. in a season where everyone is just tired and like doesn't know if they're gonna get canceled and they're just kind of like over it. Yeah you know, and they're like, yep. all right, let's just do this. Yeah. Um yeah, I think I don't love this episode for many reasons. Um <laughs> Although I want to be clear, I do love the show very much. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I think more than anything else, it's just a terrible pilot oh, because yeah. you know the the function of a pilot is to establish characters and kind of introduce the world that we're going to be in. And this this I mean, literally Q appears within the first like five to six minutes mm-hmm. of the first show, mm-hmm. and the whole thing just takes on this um. The only thing you really learn about the characters at all is that Jean-Luc is very defensive about humanity and feels very righteous about, you know, where humans are now, which is something that comes up again in the series. So I guess it's relevant. Mm -hmm. But we don't really get to meet the characters. We don't really get to even know the world that we're in because we spend most of the time on this one particular planet Uh and then we spend the rest of the time in this trial Uh so we don't really get a sense of like the enterprise and what it does and where it goes um i think you could say the mission of far point station is a pretty standard mission so i guess in that it's okay but since it's kind of couched in this idea that this is a test that they're going through, it still doesn't really feel like, oh, I understand what regular enterprise business is. Yeah. So I just think from that perspective, it, it's a big failure just in terms of what a pilot is supposed to do. Getting getting our feet on solid ground with like, where are we? Who are these people? Mm-hmm. What can I expect from the rest of the, the series?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like... Totally agree. And also like a little bit embarrassed about the pilot. Like I'm watching it, like, like <laughs> feeling embarrassed. Cause I like, I love this show. Why is this episode so bad? Yeah. But there were a few little gems I felt like that, that came out mm-hmm. of there. Um, you know, like, like I just, for one thing, I just love the idea that in the 24th century on this like starship on the bridge is like a counselor as like somebody that the, that the captain is like looking to for advice Because I'm like, yeah, that's kind of nice. You know, wouldn't it be nice if like people who are actually in charge of things were like, hmm, can you give me a take on this that's actually tuned into emotional sensitivity as opposed to like, you know, something else? (laughs) I mean, I could have done without the pain, pain, (laughs) but you know.
0: (laughs) I'm sensing a powerful mind. (laughs) It's like, okay, girl. Yeah. Yeah, Counselor Troy. I think the idea of her is amazing. I agree. Like the idea that she would be so instrumental to the crew that she's on the bridge with like at the captain's side I think is really a neat idea. Uh-huh. Um but it is funny that the way that she's used throughout the show is either to just be like emotional intelligence for Picard mm. <laughs> or to you know it's almost like this emotional she's like emotional labor personified of like there's so many times when it's like, "Oh, Picard, um, these people are very warlike and aggressive, so you should, you know, be be tough when you're talking to them." And he's like, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah," and it's like he couldn't have figured that out on his own. Right, right.
1: <laughs> let, let me do let me do all the intellectual lifting and emotional lifting for you, and then you go actually get all the credit for everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: And then because, you know, Picard just always acts the same way. So right. I guess he does need her to be like, all right, this time, maybe let's take a different a different tactic. Um, or she's used as this kind of like uh, unreliable, almost like a dousing rod or something. She's just this like tool. <laughs> yeah. To suss out something. And sometimes her powers work and sometimes they don't. And it's just very unreliable. I think I really love Deanna Troy. I think just because I love the actress. Mm-hmm. And just because she's part of this crew that I love so much. Mm-hmm. But when I look at her, she's not really ever utilized in a great way. I think she's one of the most underdeveloped characters. And I think we see that here. Like, she's not allowed to, like, really talk or do anything besides these ridiculous lines that mm-hmm. are just so overly acted. Yeah. Um. You know, we don't get to see her just kind of, like, be a person. We just see her either fawning over Riker... Or <laughs> yeah, just having these tortured lines that she has to say. I'm excited to explore her character as we move forward through episodes because I think she also brings up some questions about ethics. Mm. Um, and I think the show does eventually explore that a little bit. But like, is it ethical to have someone on your staff who can not exactly read other people's minds? Yeah, she's but only she's close only half
1: Betazoid, Remember.
0: She's only half Betazoid. (laughs) This
1: is a very key point. I feel like that comes up a lot of times in the show, too. So
0: many times. because I think the writers are trying to be like, this is why sometimes her stuff just doesn't work. We don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because otherwise it would be like you'd have the Superman problem where it's like basically Mm -hmm. you could have somebody who can just read everyone's mind. So you got to put the kryptonite in there. Her kryptonite is that she's half Betazoid apparently.
0: Or the Scarlet Witch problem, where it's like she could just come in and literally end all of this with like a flick of her fingers. So she's right. just mysteriously otherwise occupied until the last minute.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I would say for me all around, this pilot is atrocious. And it is kind of embarrassing, because if you want someone to start who hasn't seen the show, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's such a hard episode to be like okay this is the first one but it sucks and i promise things get better right yeah yeah yeah
1: you know nick i had a little special segment here the diarrhea of a a red shirt and oh i
0: love that yeah
1: yeah and because you know every time you see somebody wearing the red the red shirt you're just like ooh, okay i mean you know picard's always wearing the reds but um,
0: that's why the red shirt is so mysterious to me because it is a shirt that's worn by high-ranking people as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But then yeah. also these expendable characters.
1: Yeah. But I, 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 I was thinking of, a, of a, a tribute to poor Lieutenant Torres who yes. was destined for an early doom. <laughs> and how many of us <laughs> saw that coming? All of us saw that coming. <laughs> poor, I, I saw Lieutenant Torres and I'm like, oh, that guy's going down. It might not be right now, yeah. but it's going to be in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> and sure enough. And we never see him again. You know, he's just there to get frozen and that's yeah. it. Then he's gone.
0: Yeah, I clocked it. It was at six and a half minutes six and a into half. the
1: episode. Okay, okay. <laughs> he
0: literally stands up <laughs> and then gets frozen and that's his entire career on the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, we do find out that he's okay though, but we never see him again. Yeah, So yeah. I counted him as our first unofficial redshirt casualty.
1: He's yes, yes. You know, Lieutenant Torres. We hope you went on to have a just a wonderful <laughs> career in Starfleet after that initial mishap.
0: Yeah, I hope you got some kind of medal, some kind of accommodation, <laughs> and you went on your merry way.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I don't, and I don't know if you caught this, but at a, at about fourteen minutes, when they're doing the saucer separation. The, I mean, are we going to talk
0: about the saucer? Step? Excuse
1: me, the sauce saucer. But can we talk about the sauce saucer?
0: Yeah, let's talk about it.
1: First of all, I was like, "Whoa, pilot!" I, I will say, for a pilot episode, I was like, "Bold move." They are boldly going yeah. right here, because I mean, they are saucer separation. I did have a toy model of the Enterprise when I was in oh, high school. That's so cool. That had the separating the, the saucer that like comes off. Yeah.
0: Did you try doing it at maximum acceleration?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, is there any other way? <laughs> also, that's so cool. It's never anything anyone's ever said about my, t- my toy Enterprise model.
0: <laughs> well, I'm here to say that's so cool. Thank you. but you know I would have
1: loved that. The, the coolest thing about it was that there is a very masculine presenting officer walking across the screen wearing a dress. So... <gasps> Dude, I
0: noticed that too. I did. And I was like, Oh, this is amazing. Who is that person? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I was and like, can we never
0: see him again? Can
1: we stop the episode and like talk about this guy? Can, can, or, or, or they, or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, can we just talk about how there's a person who's, yeah, somebody, I, I don't know. I feel like there was somebody who was like, we need to make this happen. And saucep time is the time when that's going to happen. <laughs>
0: There's some kind of trans narrative in there that I can't quite put together yet, but I feel like it makes sense. Yeah. 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 No, I noticed that as well. And I also thought it was cool because they called Q they, them.
1: Oh, you're right. In the episode,
0: because they acknowledge, I I think later he is called he, Mm -hmm. but I noticed that in this episode, they always refute referred to Q as they or them. Uh-huh. And I don't know if they were kind of like acknowledging the collective aspect of Q's existence uh-huh. or, but I think it was like, oh yeah, this is like an immortal entity. Like they don't have a gender. Right. You know, or they don't have a gender we're going to perceive. And they, it was like an acknowledgement that like the form that he took was just the form that he took yeah. to appear to them. Um, I thought that was really neat. I was like, like, why is this so hard for people to do this?
1: Yeah, I think I love that. And yet for me, it was overshadowed by the pink and blue space jellyfish (laughs) at the end because I was like, great. So apparently the message of this episode, big takeaway, is that love is the strongest force in the galaxy, except only pink Mm -hmm. and blue love, apparently, you know? Yeah. That was just, that really pissed me off. (laughs)
0: Yeah, the show is nothing if not aggressively heterosexual. Yes, yes. And that is something we will explore as the seasons go past. But um, and it, there's some behind the scenes reasons for that. I guess mm. the showrunner who took over, you know, the show was in danger of being canceled for a long time. Uh-huh. And he apparently felt that this was too, like too far to push things to have any kind of, like, gay narrative mm. included, which, you know, we could argue about. But, um, yeah, the show is aggressively heterosexual. Like, any it can, it's going to be like, no homo. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. every mm-hmm. time it can, it's going to come in and be like, no, you're not allowed to do anything that's not super, super hetero. Yeah. Which is interesting because there does seem to be, if you pay attention, there is a lot of... I wouldn't say a lot. Well, actually, I would say kind of a lot. There's a lot of the storylines have a bit of a trans narrative to them. Uh. So maybe it was because people were less aware of trans people at this time that they were able to sneak that in more often. Where on the surface, there is this like very aggressively heterosexual narrative yeah it was really interesting watching back through and being like wow they actually like some of the stuff they pulled off would have been still pretty controversial today Mm -hmm. um, especially today now that we're having this resurgence of you know transphobia Mm -hmm. but at the time uh, I'm like maybe they got away with it because people were just didn't know what to pick up on as much yeah and and I think
1: yeah that's such a great point about the show that like it does seem like there's some of that in there. And honestly, I I don't think you can make that show without like some sort of a trans narrative. Like like it for example, mm-hmm. it, it bothers me so much that like I said, like World War Two or like, you know, nineteenth century or like mid-twentieth century history is like this intergalactic reference point or whatever. But it's like also bothers me that like there would still be any form of a gender binary in any kind of intergalactic situation. I mean, we're dealing yeah. with, like, you know, beings from all over the, the galaxy. So, it, it, like, obviously there's not going to be a gender binary in this situation. So that's why, like, the whole, like, like you said, aggressively hetero thing is like, okay, that's the thing that's making this the least realistic to me. Like, I can deal yes. with it. I can deal with the holodeck. Uh, you know, I can deal with tea, <laughs> Earl Grey, hot. Like, I cannot deal with a gender binary, okay? I mean, that's just, that is a bridge (laughs) too far.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I completely agree. It just, this is one of the failings of the show and one of the, and again, I, I, there's context around perhaps why it was this way, whether we agree with it or not, there was kind of a method to it, Mm -hmm. but you know, I just think as a concept it's it makes it incredibly weak to think that there would be such a strict gender binary that there would be such a strict um sex- sexuality, you know, binary or like heterosexuality running through everything is just like absolutely ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Especially given that you have things like a holodeck where you could go and do anything you wanted to do. You think people aren't going to be in there experimenting and trying out different genders, trying out, you know, having sex or having relationships with different genders of people. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh And like you said, especially when you integrate, I think just given the technology and the time would be very liberating for people. Um, But then especially when you integrate the fact that you're meeting, yeah, all of these alien species who are just not going to have these constructs in the same way, and you're not just meeting them, but you're working alongside them, and your culture is so integrated on the ship that it just is absolutely unbelievable that everything would still be so hetero and cisnormative.
1: I know. It would be like an explosion of sexual creativity to have, like, creatures oh, yeah. from all over the galaxy hanging out. I mean, I guess I guess they get into that a little bit with, like, the Klingon and stuff later on, but... It's, but it is all still like very, like you said, it's very hetero or very binary kind of the way that they approach all those things. And that always kind of bothered me <laughs> about the, because it's like, there's so much opportunity there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's also like you're in space and you can do, like you can do whatever you want. Like you said on the holodeck, you get to choose whatever you want to do. So there's so much rich opportunity for exploration. Like why would people be just like tramping down the same path again and again and again? It just seems kind of right. kind of ludicrous.
0: Yeah. It does seem ludicrous. If nothing else, people get bored. You know, (laughs) we know this about humans. Uh, We get really bored really easily. So imagine having all of that at your fingertips. Like there's no way that you would just keep doing the same thing. You'd be like, hmm, I want (laughs) to try something different today. I tell
1: you what, I would not be going into the forest to try to learn how to whistle. That would, that would not be tops on my list.
0: <laughs> unless unless that was in quotes. I am going to go into the forest and uh, learn how to whistle.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Me and Data are going to go uh, teach each other to whistle. I mean,
1: I don't want to do any spoiler alerts, but Data does kind of, I mean, he does kind of get it on in episode two. Yeah. Like, let's not forget that yeah. Data is a sex machine. Fully
0: functional. Fully functional. <laughs> and programmed in many pleasurable techniques. <laughs>
1: Which I I know. Yeah, I mean, we'll save that for later. But I mean, really, I was like, okay, that's actually kind of impressive, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah I have feelings about how that was all handled, but it was pretty like progressive, and it's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, you would fucking an Android, of course you oh. would, of course you would. In a would. second, yes. You'd be having sex with aliens who don't have gender as we perceive it. Like, you would be doing all kinds of stuff where you'd be like, oh, yeah, and then I'm going to come back home and be like, oh, men and women, oh, you know, I'm going to be heterosexual. No. You'd be like, I just went and had an orgy with, like, blob creatures from this planet (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to come back and be put into a box after that.
1: Can you imagine what that would do for sexuality if you were exploring pleasure with alien beings, you know, like non-human entities who also, like, let's, let's just say, like, had a sexuality or, like, had at least, like, pleasure receptors, like... Like, what mm-hmm. would that do for, like, our understanding of sexuality? See, I, again, feel like that was a real missed opportunity there for Star Trek to be, like,
0: <laughs> know.
1: you know, like, like, hey, we're exploring this and, like, that that pleasure can mean all these different things or sex can mean all these different things to all these different... I don't know. I just feel like that could have been a really, really cool, like, counter-narrative to um, patriarchy that kind of missed out on that. But
0: Yeah, missed out on it big time. Yeah. And it is sad because one... Th- I think if this show does anything extraordinarily well, it's exploring masculinity and what that means and um, really demonstrating like healthy alternatives to, you know, these like masculine um, ideals that we put on men. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, then we hit sexuality and that all gets cut off. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we can do a lot of this emotional work, we can do a lot of this exploration, but then when it comes to who we date, who we love, you know, how we express our gender, then that's it. Yep. And it's just it's just such a disappointment because the show had the ability to do that really well. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know that it actually had the ability. It might have been canceled if it tried, but it just, given the writing, given the character development we see over the years, given this really nuanced way that they approach men and their relationships to one another, it just, I could see them doing it, doing that exploration justice. You know, I could see them doing this in a really powerful way and it's just, it's too bad. Yeah, it's it's kind of a stain on the legacy, I think, of Star Trek in general, Mm -hmm. that this was such a thing that they weren't able to discover because I know for Deep Space Nine as well, there was like a couple on there that never really got to actually officially be a couple. So now with Discovery, I don't know if you've watched Discovery, but that show is like queer as fuck. (laughs) It's just like making up for lost time. It's like everyone's queer. Like we're going to explore queer love. We're going to have queer characters. Like we're going to do it right. Um, Which is cool. But yeah, it's just sad that it took so long because you know there's other things that happened in the show that again I thought were pretty groundbreaking uh-huh. and handled just in, handled really well and it just makes me sad that this was something that was not um, able to be explored by these characters and by these writers that I think could have done something just really remarkable and really have a lasting impact for the fans that watched it. Mm-hmm because i think a lot of us queer kids were watching it and it is just kind of an inherently queer thing you know so you were already reading yourself into so many of the characters and the situations and so to have had that explored would have been really really cool
1: yeah yeah i hear that and and i think and and that that's the beauty of star trek i think it was i think it was such a refuge for anybody who didn't feel like they like that, they fit into the the structures of society. And I, when did that come out? Ninety three, I think, was. It was nineteen. I think that was the
0: last season. It was like eighty seven to ninety
1: three. Oh, was it? Oh, really? Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah.
0: I know. Yeah.
1: So I just feel like in that in that time period, like. If you wanted to, oh, that's right. I was watching them in syndication a lot. That's why that was same. The <laughs> that's day. what I realized too when I looked it up. I'm like,
0: oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah,
1: but I just feel like for, it was like th- that was the place like for anybody who didn't quite feel like you know like being one of those kids who never quite felt like I found my people. You know, the idea mm-hmm. that there could be this like you know iteration of the future where you could go around and find you know creatures from all over, you know, beings from all over the the galaxy and that maybe you would find somebody who, you know, you connected with or who had a value system that was like yours, you know, there's just, there's something so special about that. So it's like, there's, there's like an inclusive kind of ethos to the whole thing. Um, But you're right. It just, it falls short on a couple of different ways of actually, you know, really extending that narrative.
0: Yeah. And I think um, the idea, I mean, the way that the crew I I have critiques of how this is actually carried out uh-huh. but the idea that the crew always approaches a new person with the with the effort to orient orient themselves to that person's culture uh-huh. or that being's culture and their way of life and like just this like automatic assumption that like yeah we're probably going to be different uh-huh. and that's okay And, you know, we're going to try not to, like, force our ideas on you. And we're just going to try to meet you where you're at and, like, make a connection. I think there's something really beautiful in that. I think it gets ruined, though, by the human centricity of the show and how obsessed it is with how it thinks. Like, the show seems to be obsessed with this idea that just in a few hundred years, humans are going to be perfect and beyond reproach. (laughs) And there's this one moment in the trial that stood out to me. I had never noticed it before, but Data stands up and he's like, In 2036, it was made like a law that you cannot try a human for crimes of their predecessors. Right. And I was like, That's interesting. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. because again, that kind of feels like some white man colonizer bullshit where it's like, Oh, no, no. Like, we're good now. So uh, anything that happened before, you know, that's in the past. And we can't be held accountable for that. Yeah. Moving on, you know, like, and I'm like, that really feels like some, you know, skirting around reparations, skirting around land back kind of stuff. I don't think it was intended maybe exactly that way. But that's how it came across to me. And I think that that is a weakness of the show's, like, core philosophy is that... We made things better, things are perfect now. So we really don't need to be held accountable for the past. Uh-huh. And you see that with how anything from the past that's brought up, Picard is always very dismissive yep. and like very, like very patriarchal and like authoritarian about it. Like that's in the past. We're not talking about it. Oh. And I don't need to address it or feel bad about it. And it just happens again and again. And then it creates this um they approach other species w- with this like moral snobbery almost like we have fully evolved. Uh-huh. And oh, we get that you haven't fully evolved yet, uh-huh. but we have. Right. <laughs> and it's like right. but you haven't though. You're like no homoing everything on the ship, <laughs> you know, like you're all of the women are objectified in their own ways Uh you know i i do think the care the female characters are probably better than other things that were happening at the time Uh but like let's be real the female cast is the weakest part of the show Uh they do not they're not fully developed they're objectified constantly We'll talk a lot about Tasha Yar I think on the next episode. I have words
1: about yes. Ooh, me too. <laughs> I mean words and crushes, but if we could just, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but it it just you know, it's just um it's something it's something where you can tell who wrote the show. Yes. You know, and like you can tell what they were trying to do, but they had such a limited viewpoint that they weren't able to actually accomplish what they thought they were accomplishing. Yep. And I think this human centricity, this idea that there's like now, of you know, I think it was like the Federation or some one of these organizations had been like, oh, yeah, we can't like humans can't be tried for any crimes of the past. It just lends itself to this idea that it's very imperialist i guess it's uh-huh. it's another case of like you know u.s centric human centric or european centric um imperialism where we're just running around space now with picard who is this uh, bastion of morality and we're the ones who are going to come in and help We're also the ones who are going to come in and decide when we're going to use our, you know, really advanced weaponry on someone, even though we're invading their space. Yeah, (laughs) and I'm going to have a lot to say about that in several different episodes. But yeah, it's just, um, I love this show so much, but it's so flawed, you know. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. I hope the listeners can be okay with that. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because for so many people. um Star Trek spaces are really colonized by that type of person, you know, mm-hmm. by this like usually white guy who will not hear any critiques of the show, can't have like an intersectional analysis of anything. And I wanted to as someone who's a huge fan of the show but doesn't fit into that demographic, I wanted to have a space where we can we can really critique the stuff that the show did wrong and the really sometimes like extremely damaging messages that it sends while also like being giant fans of it, loving it so much, loving these characters so much and also seeing the stuff that it did really well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think probably the biggest indictment on, on this episode and on that aspect of the show comes from Picard himself. Um, (laughs) And so I've, so Nick, I have committed for each episode to pick out some words of wisdom And and this, this episode's words of wisdom are not very wise, um, but they're words of wisdom from (laughs) Picard. And he, he says, this is a perfect illustration of what point of the point you've just made, because he says, um, you know, when, uh, when he's talking about his decision-making process and he goes, if we're going to be damned, let's be damned for what we really are. And that's like, said every white man every time he did some fucked up shit. You know what I mean? nice. <laughs> and,
0: or if uh. he hasn't done anything fucked up in the last five minutes, then he's like, Well, I'm great now. Yeah. I've changed. Like, <laughs> don't you see that I'm changed? I, you can't hold me accountable for what I did 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Like, what are you crazy? Yeah. Yeah. And it does, it very much has that that feeling to it. And that's why I say like he he sounded like a fucking clown yeah. when he was talking to Q about that costume he was wearing when he was in the, I think it was World War II uniform. And I'm like, bro, you're wearing a uniform right now. You are part of like a military colonizing entity. Like, what are you talking about?
1: And this is like, sorry, this is kind of tangential, but like the World War II imagery in that episode was very bothersome to me because first you had like this whole like Q dressing up in the, you know, American serviceman uniform. Then you've got mm. like basically the, like the German eagle in the background in the court, like channeling some Nuremberg stuff. And then this one, I might be reading into this, but the whole thing about like the the drugs attached to the uniform of the soldiers, you know, there's been this, there's this like book that came out a, 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 like a couple years ago about how Like, basically, Hitler's army was all on meth, basically, which is how they were able to, like, accomplish Blitzkrieg so efficiently. Um, And, uh, yeah, and that he was, like, also a meth head or whatever. Anyway, I don't know. You know, full disclosure, did not read the book. Just, (laughs) just an (laughs) occupational hazard of my day job (laughs) is that I I hear about these things. But I was like, (laughs) like, I felt like there was just like, they were just leaning so hard into this whole Nazi thing. Mm. And then I was like, but wait a minute, but where does that like, oh, we shouldn't be held responsible for the actions of the past. But then we're also going to use all this imagery from like pretty atrocious, like, you know, pasts. So I'm like, like, I just, I'm not, I can't square that circle. Like, where are you guys trying to go with this, you know?
0: Right. And I wish, like, if they had decided to have this conversation, which, you know, I do think is a good conversation to have. How Uh do we reconcile things that have happened in the past, you know, now as people who have learned better? Uh You know, I think that's something that everyone has to grapple with who, has any kind of journey in their life, right? Who's taken any kind of like ethical, moral, spiritual journey in their life is you have to look back and be like, oh, I didn't, you know, I did some stuff I'm not proud of. How do I reconcile that? And what's dangerous about the way that the show handles it and usually through Picard, who is supposed to be our father figure, he's supposed to be this kind of like moral compass for us on the show Mm -hmm. is just to constantly say, well, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. But they never talk about, oh, well, we had reparations. We yep. did transformative justice. Like we, you know, here's how we dealt with this in our time. It's more just that, oh, that's some. And es- they especially make use of the fact that this is a few hundred years in the future. Right. To be like, that's, that's ancient history right. to us. So they're trying to show like, oh, look, someday the Holocaust or slavery or these other atrocities that we've been involved in will just be like us talking about you know what the Romans did like it'll just be this thing that we're so disconnected from you know and it's like but we're not though (laughs) like when this show is actually being filmed and written we're not far from those things those things have not been fully accounted for and we're still struggling with the same you know political mechanisms I mean we're living now in 2021 like seeing fascism on the rise we're seeing these things like these things are not part of our past at all Uh we're still having conversations about land back we're still having conversations about reparations and these things still have not been done Uh so to to present this as like oh yeah if you just get far away enough from the problem and you don't do something that bad again then you can just be free and clear of those conversations i think is a really just dangerous message
1: yeah, and and I I think that message is so baked into the to the script in the show because there's this sort of and I think this is Gene, you know, I mean God rest his soul, uh, you know, but like I think this whole idea of like the infinite optimism in human progress and mm-hmm. where it's just kind of like yeah, but no, <laughs> you know that like that's that's not really that, <laughs> right. that's just not really working for me. Like there's something kind of Elon Musk y yeah. or like Jeff yes. Bezos y about. You know that element of like, oh well, progress is going to save us, and we're going to continue to evolve, and we're going to, you know, turn into this miraculous. Th- I don't know, like that just kind of, you know, it kind of rubs you the wrong way, at least for me yeah. as a narrative. Like, is it kind of a meta narrative in that show? Um, it's like the, the, unquestioned.
0: Absolutely, it's lazy, it's naive, uh-huh. you know, and it's irresponsible, frankly. Uh-huh. And yeah, if we look at how technology is advancing today, it is not getting us away from these issues. It is creating and leaning into and capitalizing on these issues. Yeah, it is. You know, Silicon Silicon Valley is not a place you want to be as a marginalized person. It's not a safe space for you. Yeah. You know, and I think that says a lot for what what the future of technology is looking like right now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, to just say, oh, oh, you know, we once the like in these narratives, it's always like once we touch the stars, we just (laughs) got it. You know, like everything was just better. And it's like, no, then we're just going to go colonize the stars. We're going to go like take over, you know, mineral mineral mines on other planets and like. There's no, like, there has to be work done. Something has to happen because instead what happens is technology just becomes an arm of the military, the government, Uh the corporations. Like, and that's what we're seeing now. Like, technology has taken over the brainwashing that used to have to be done by the government. Now we let these apps and stuff, you know, control our perceptions of ourselves and of other people. We literally have these things taking over our ability to pay attention. Like my ability to focus is so much less than it used to be when I was younger. Uh. And I know it's because it's my own fault. It's because I'm on my phone all the time. And then I'll also have the TV in the background and I'll, you know, be answering an email on my laptop. Like I just have too much going on all the time. And that's, that's by design. These things are designed to plug into our brains and take over our attention and so to think that like somehow looking at how things are working today that magically somewhere in there it's all going to flip and this technology is going to be what makes us better Uh is just really wildly irresponsible Uh because it's not what's happening Uh this stuff is not being developed for the better of mankind it's being developed for profits and for control yeah And to think that, yeah, somewhere along the way that's just going to switch and suddenly we're going to become this humanitarian, wonderful, peaceful species that's just curious about the stars and (laughs) maybe wants to colonize the ones that aren't already colonized, you know? It's just like, what are you talking about? You're still colonizing other planets. Like That is part of Starfleet's mission is to colonize other planets and we're going to act like... There's nothing to answer for in past colonization while we're still doing it. I mean, that's a spoiler alert, but there's an episode about that that I can't wait to talk about because it's like, yeah, okay, so you guys even address it, but you kind of don't really address it. You know, it's just at the end of the day when the credits are starting to roll and Picard has his last little words of wisdom, it's just always (laughs) sort of like, "Eh, but we're fine. yeah. And so that's why, too, with this pilot episode, you know, I like Q, I think mostly because the actor just hams it up so much that, like, how can you not have fun with Uh him? But he's not used, like, I like the idea of there being someone in this universe who is challenging them to be like, you guys aren't as great as you think you are, and you haven't really answered for things the way that you think that you have. But, you know, like you said, we always get to the end of the episode and they're just sort of let off the hook and everything's fine. Yeah. And he never really brings that, he never really holds that mirror up as, like, well as he could or as firmly as he could. He just kind of antagonizes and then he goes away. And, you know, I think, yeah, if you're going to have this character, like, really have this character. Have him be someone that they, Picard can't intimidate with his gruffness, right? He can't shut him down, and this is going to be a person who's going to be like, "No, I, you haven't actually answered for any of this, and I'm going to keep challenging you."
1: Yep. Yeah, I mean, missed opportunity there, and I, I think missed opportunity every time we meet, Q, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I do agree that cute. I mean, yeah, he is he he does lean into the role. I mean.
0: He does. Yeah. So, <laughs> he, oh my God. When he's in the trial and he's dressed in that like oh it's almost emperor looking outfit I, and he's just like ham he's just hamming it up and I'm like, I love you. Yeah. I also just love how much Picard he just annoys Picard so much. Yeah. <laughs> it just gets right under his skin. It's kind of
1: fun to see Picard get pissed off, honestly. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: Of course it is. Yeah. It, he's it, such it, a little shit. <laughs> I had a couple random notes. Let's hear them. One thing that came up, I don't know if you noticed this, but I found it very interesting. Uh, so right in the beginning, Picard says that they have to go snoop around Farpoint Station. Mm-hmm. And Data was like, I don't know this word snoop. snoop. Yeah. Yeah. And And Picard's like, how are you this like android with this encyclopedic knowledge of, you know, all of these languages and stuff. And you don't know the word snoop. And then Data says, it's possible that he was not designed to emulate this type of human behavior. So that basically knowledge was kept from him of behavior that his developers didn't want him to have. Whoa. And I just thought that was like really interesting. And I'm like, see, why isn't the whole episode about this? Right? <laughs> this is so interesting to me. I
1: totally did not catch that. And that is, I uh, my only thought on that was I was like, oh, so he doesn't know Snoop, but he knows like 47 other adjectives for it. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, that does seem like a bit of a programming oversight. But now when you, pr- you you frame it that way, that's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, I just thought it was a really cool, just very quick little subtle moment mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, there's some acknowledgement here in some history being given about data's creation uh-huh. that yeah he may have been programmed in this way where knowledge has been kept from him in hopes that he wouldn't emulate that kind of behavior uh-huh. but it also with so many things with data it falls apart the second you think about it too long like yeah. just logically yeah because like you said like the, yeah then he knew all these other <laughs> adjectives or synonyms for it yeah and it's like All right, so if he knows how to sneak, he knows how to snoop. Like, what is the difference? But
1: yeah,
0: it's still... They have these moments where it's like, okay, I'm entranced by what you just said, even though if, you know, I know it doesn't hold up to everything else, but it's still a cool idea. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was like a really cool moment of like, oh, yeah, this... Because Data is so himself, you know, he's such a rich character and he's so lovable and he's got such a big personality. I think you forget that he was made by someone and it was just such a neat moment of like, Oh wow. Like it kind of gave me chills a little bit to think about like you had had this kept from you because your creators didn't want you to have it. And also like, I think a lot of us could relate to that even as being children. Uh. Like I would imagine you can relate to this as being like a child in a religious home of like, you know things are kept from you because they're afraid if you even know that it exists, then you'll do it. Yeah, and so you're not given the choice to like choose how you want to be, right? Like everything's so filtered and weeded out for you.
1: That's yeah, that's really interesting because it, it actually does hold up a little bit better than the with that analogy with data because like he has like an operational knowledge of terminology, but doesn't actually know what that terminology means. So. Like I'm Mm -hmm. thinking of that messaging like that I had as a child is like, well, you know these words and these words equate with something bad or undesirable, but you don't actually know anything about it. So you just kind of it exists in this like theoretical knowledge bank, but there's no there's no like practical life that 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 gives to you. I found data relatable in a lot of ways, though, like there were just so many moments with him where I was like, oh, I just yeah, I just relate. (laughs) <laughs> Which is weird because yes. like, I'm a very feeling person. Like I have like huge emotions, but I think like...
0: Well, I would say Data is a very feeling person too. He
1: is. And that was the thing I always identified with him was I was Because he's like, a
0: very poorly written android <laughs> and he's a great...
1: But like, but if Data... He's a
0: great character. If
1: Data can't turn it off, you know, and he's a machine, mm-hmm. then, you know, maybe I'm not so weird that I have all these big feelings, <laughs> you know? Yeah.
0: Yes. Um... Yeah, as we go along, uh, part of my notes is that, you know, I want to explore data as autistic representation Uh because there's a lot of, I'd say controversy might be a strong word, but for a lot of autistic people, they do see themselves in data. But then a lot of people are also like, you know, autistic people are always represented as robots or androids or asexual, Mm. kind of, you know, just flat characters. So it could be quote unquote, problematic. Yeah. Um. So I think, I think exploring is data good autistic representation is kind of interesting to me. And, you know, spoiler alert, I think he's great autistic representation because he is so nuanced. He is so well written. He's so likable. And you're really invested in his journey. And I think you have a lot of empathy for him. And I think really, when it comes to representation, that is the most important thing. I get that it's it's harmful if you're just being represented in the same way over and over again and not allowed to be anything else. Mm -hmm. But I think given that this was in, you know, he was written in the late 80s, I think it's pretty great representation. And I think it's more a function of like how often that representation happened again and again afterwards, rather than, you know, the show's fault, that data happens to also be an Android. Mm -hmm. And I also think it works because A lot of Data's storylines work in a lot of different ways. Like, I think Data is also very much a trans character Uh. in certain aspects, Um, especially in particular episodes, but also sort of in general. And I think that 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 layering and that nuance make him really good representation for whatever you're taking him as, you know? He's not just this flat character that's coming out to be like the butt of a joke or to be a stereotype. He's... He's really a full-fledged like person, and his humanity is explored on the show so many times. And so not even subtly, right? <laughs> Like like at some point, there's a trial for his humanity. Like it's it's very out in the open and it's a very openly discussed thing. And I think that does make him really good mm-hmm. representation. But I also want to bring this up because I think there's another autistic person on the show, which is my sweet little Wesley Crusher. Aww. I think Wesley Crusher is very a very good example of an autistic person who maybe is able to mask a bit better mm-hmm. and is able to navigate social situations like somewhat better. You know, he's very empathetic. He's really good at reading uh, people's emotions and responding to them. And I love the I never remembered this before, you know, I watched this episode a couple times to prepare for this for today. And when he's very first introduced, we meet Wesley and his mom are out kind of shopping in the Bandy, like Starbase at Farpoint Station. And Riker comes up to them and Bev is just very cold to to Riker. It's like actually kind of bizarre how like flat her affect is. Um, Just knowing like she's not really like that. Uh, It just was very weird acting choice. But anyway... And Wes runs up to Riker and he's like, oh, sorry if my mom seems like cold or distant. She just doesn't trust new people very well. And it takes her a little while to warm up. And I just was like, that is such a moment of a kid who has like, right? Like he's managing other, he's like noticing. Yeah. Oh, this was probably weird for him because this would have made me feel weird. And he's running over to like explain and make him feel better. And I'm like, that is just Wesley Crusher. In a nutshell, you know, just what a little sweet pea. He's just always paying attention to other people, what's happening. And he's always doing what he can to make sure everyone's okay. Mm. And I don't think that a lot of people would... And I I think he can represent a lot of stuff, too. I think he represents, like, childhood trauma. And when you grow up too fast Mm. and you have a lot of concern for your parent. you know, one of your parents dies and maybe you were raised by a single parent, you just, like... You, you become very mature to try to release their burden. So I think he can represent a lot of things, but I think for a lot of us who are able to mask, like this is how I am. I pay attention to everyone. I'm always kind of monitoring the situation. And if I think something weird is happening, I'm trying to check in or explain things or connect with everyone. And um I just see so much of myself in him. And he has like this special interest in science, and he's really smart, and he just can't understand why he can't just do the things that he wants to do. Like his age just (laughs) doesn't make sense to him. You know, it's like, okay, I'm a kid, but like, who cares? I know how to do this stuff. And I just think he's he's also just really amazing representation for like alternative masculinity, I think, because he's such a little soft boy. And he's, you know, (laughs) just like, so Warm and squishy, and I think it's really interesting. I actually didn't know this because I had a huge crush on him, if you can't tell, when I was a kid.
1: <laughs> no, really?
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, massive crush. I think he might have been my first human crush because I had a crush on one of the chipmunks. Oh. I can't remember which one.
1: Oh, okay, that is kind of an important detail, was... but go ahead.
0: Or <laughs> 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 not the chipmunks, the... um? The Rescue Rangers, like Chippendale. Oh, Chippendale Chip
1: Rescue Rangers. I had yeah, a crush on Gadget. Ha- oh, yeah. Big time.
0: See, what was it about? And, and Why was that such a
1: horny show? I don't know. How did you just access that part of my memory? Like, how, how did know. that come up? Like, how the fuck do I know the name Gadget out of nowhere?
0: Wow. Oh, my God. I mean. But, yeah, I think he was the first, if not one of the first, definitely one of the first, but he might have been the first, like... Human boy, I had a crush on. Anyway, and in doing research for something else, I discovered that a lot of people hate Wesley as a character. What? I guess he's like, yeah, I guess he's like hated. Oh, those people can get fucked. Thank you. I know, I was so mad when I read that because I read something that was saying, like, oh, Will Wheaton might have a chance to redeem Wesley Crusher, you know, because now they're doing like the Picard reboot and all these things. (sighs) So it was like, oh, he might have a chance to come back and redeem Wesley. And I was like, what do you redeem mean redeem him from Wesley? What? From
1: awesomeness? Yeah. And so
0: I, right, I clicked on the article and they were like, oh, yeah, viewers hated Wesley. He was a little know-it-all and he was always like saving the day and they just like found him really annoying. And I was like, oh, like, how dare you? Oh, yeah. How dare you, my sweet little baby? But I think part of why he probably was hated is because he is this like soft, caring boy. And he was also a kid. And I mean, ageism is a real thing and it works in both directions, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think him being um, this child prodigy, but also just being really sweet, Mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't an asshole. He was very smart, but he wasn't a dick about it. He was really kind. I just think it's really interesting to think about the men watching the show and how much they hated him and why that might be. Ugh.
1: That just, that brings up so many feelings. Because like like I told you before we started recording, like when I would play Star Trek with my friends, um, safe space here, Uh, anybody listening to this, (laughs) (laughs) when I would play Star Trek with my friends, I kind of fancied myself a Riker because I think I wanted to be like, you Mm. know, as like this like round flabby little, you know, 11 year old dork. Like I, you know, wanted to be, (laughs) I wanted to be Riker. But like deep in my heart, I was like like Wesley, like he had feelings and he whined and yeah. he like was really hurt by stuff and and oh my god, what you said about like no one taking him seriously even though he did understand. I mean, it's like yeah, like like Captain Picard was a dick to him on the bridge. Don't touch He's anything. Such an asshole. You know, I'm like dude, fuck <laughs> you, Picard. Like the kid obviously knows how to like operate this thing. You know.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah, and, and so Wesley is just such. He's just he's just all like the good things. That should have been the episode. He should have been like, here, Q, meet this kid, Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And this this sweet little humanity. baby. Yeah. This
0: perfect little being. Yeah, meet him, and he's we're good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Wesley's our get out of jail free card anytime. Yeah, and Q would be like, yeah, yeah,
1: checks out. Yeah, he's a good kid. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the future made this sweet baby boy who just is just loves everyone and just wants everyone to be happy. I know. Yeah, it's really interesting um as we go through these episodes, it's going to be interesting to see like how often Wesley picks up on something before other people and no one will listen to him.
1: Yes. Oh my goodness. And the whole
0: shut up Wesley thing is a joke? Yeah. And it and it is funny, like the scene where shut up Wesley happens is kind of funny, uh-huh. but it's also kind of tragic uh-huh. because he is right, he's right. And people are the adults that have control of the situation are and we're talking about life and death situations here. Where this kid is like, I, this really fucked up thing is happening and no one will believe me or I know how to fix it, but no one will listen to how me. How
1: universal is that for kids too? Like, yes, I mean, I exactly. spend a lot of time working with teenagers and that's exactly the thing is like, yeah, sometimes they're, you know, whiny, whiny little turds, you know, that happens, <laughs> but like right. mostly that's coming from a place of like deep need and especially a need to be like heard and seen and acknowledged as a human being on this planet, because also we just so infantilize our youth, which is a whole nother, mm. you know, a whole nother story. But like, Dude, and then, yeah. and then here, here he comes where he's actually right too, you know? I mean, that's the mm-hmm. thing about Wesley is it's not like he's just walking around with a bunch of opinions and no knowledge, you know, like this kid is right. clearly, like you said, a prodigy. Um and like how great is that as a young person to watch that show and be like, you know, yeah, Wesley gets it. Wesley knows what's going on right
0: now. (laughs) Exactly. Wesley's gonna
1: save the day. Yeah, he saves the day in episode two, I think. Even, but I don't. I not to. He does. To jump ahead here, but
0: spoiler. Yeah, spoiler. Yeah, no, he saves the day, and that was part of, I guess, why people hated him is because he ends up saving the day, like. 20 times or something throughout the series. I mean, he's especially in the first couple seasons, he's like Johnny on the spot constantly. But what will be interesting to talk about in these episodes is what I noticed is that nine times out of 10 when Wesley saves a day, it's not actually because of the knowledge that he has. It's because he paid attention and listened to somebody.
1: Oh, Oh my and god, and because I love he that.
0: knows his friends. Oh. Like there's so many episodes where him saving the day is because he noticed someone was acting weird or not like themselves mm-hmm. or like something they said that was a little off. It's him being empathetic and open to people that is actually what makes him a hero in most cases. It's very rarely him actually having this like advanced knowledge that he has. And I think that's why, for me, he's such a special character. And it it really breaks my heart that he was vilified in that way. And when I read that article, Will Wheaton said that it was really hard for him to, like, hear that, to be judged so harshly and have, like, so much vitriol coming at him as such a young actor. Um, and I haven't looked, but I know, you know, Wesley kind of leaves the show... A few seasons in, I don't remember exactly which season, mm-hmm. but I wonder. And it was probably for him to go off to college or do whatever, but I also wonder if, like, he just was fed up with it, oh, you know? Yeah. Getting shit on so much for, like, being a good person. Yeah. <laughs> like, his character was just this really good person. How dare
1: you represent the best of humanity on television! <laughs> I know. <laughs> we, we want to hate you.
0: Oh. Yeah. And Wesley's also a fucking badass. Uh He is the only... He constantly stands up to Picard, Uh like, fearlessly. He always speaks his mind. When he thinks something's important, he says it. Uh And he deals with the consequences. He resolves conflict with people. Uh Like, he's a little fucking badass. Yeah, he is. And... This will be, if nothing else, a project to redeem and glorify Wesley Crusher. Maybe,
1: th- maybe that's what we should have named this podcast.
0: <laughs> oh.
1: The Project to Redeem Wesley Crusher.
0: Maybe we should. Oh. Or speak up, Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So yeah, that will be really fun to explore in future episodes.
1: I'm I'm excited. We have a lot of characters to talk about. I mean, th- there's a rich tapestry of discussions to be had. Mm-hmm. About, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just thinking. I'm like getting so excited because I'm like thinking about Guinan and I'm thinking about you uh. know like just other like other some of these ancillary characters and like yeah. But I and and there is that little bit of like trepidation. Of like this rewatch at this point <laughs> in my life and like, am I going to see those characters again or see episodes again and be like, why did I like this again? Or what, <laughs> what was doing it for me with this episode or this character?
0: No, you'll <laughs> like it better because I've rewatched the whole seven seasons and I'm just like, like, I love it so much more mm. than I even did as a kid. Like it, it holds up. There's there's stuff to critique here and there, but like it, it doesn't even matter. Like the show is just so good, the characters are so good. I yeah. think you'll be like, oh, I like love this character even more now. Oh, okay. As an adult, mm-hmm. I love it. And,
1: and it's also exciting because you get the the new things that pop up to you too. That maybe you know because yes. of where you're at in life, something else jumped out to you that you know wasn't jumping out uh, wasn't jumping out before. So.
0: Well, and that's how I feel about the Wesley Crusher stuff because I just remember, like, having a crush on him Mm. and thinking he was so dreamy Uh when I was younger and now being able to be like, oh, I actually, like, really relate to Wesley. Yeah. You know, as someone who grew up in, like, a dysfunctional childhood home and Mm. as someone who, like, really pays attention to other people and is always trying to keep things together, just his struggle to, like, be heard and, and, you know, this show is kind of, like, very um it's almost like a it's almost like a black mirror type of thing when you think about it like or twilight zone like a lot of what the crew goes through is really traumatic and like kind of chilling when you Mm. think about it yeah and one of one of the things that like occurs to me is wesley being this child who is so aware and sensitive and involved Seeing all these horrible things happening all the time and not being listened to by the adults around him and feeling like he has no, you know, he's engaged. He's not like a kid who's just playing and not aware of what's going on. So I don't know, just kind of that creeping horror of the idea of being a kid who knows what's happening, but is ignored by adults. And you're just constantly watching stuff just horrifying stuff happen mm-hmm. and not having any autonomy in that mm-hmm. and not having and not being able to trust the people who are supposed to keep you safe to listen to you when something's happening you know i think if you kind of strip down the layers like that's that's pretty like horrifying and there's a lot of stuff about the show that's like that you can kind of just watch it and be like this is fun but if you think about it you're like wow this is pretty
1: oh fucked very up. traumatizing." <laughs> yeah
0: very traumatizing yeah yeah like next week you know it's one of the it's the first time that the crew is going to act you know be taken over by something that makes them act differently and this happens so many times in the series and i just think you'd be you would never be able to trust anyone you would not be able to have any relationships because you just constantly be like uh Is there a parasite living in your body? Are you (laughs) do you have some dwarf star juice scrambling your brain? Like what is going on? Like everyone is constantly just, you know, being body snatched or cloned or there's always things going on. Um, And I just think, wow, like this crew would be traumatized. Like they would be not able to function, you know? Yeah, And there's something kind of, like, wonderfully horrifying about them sort of hitting the reset button every week and we're on to another adventure. Uh And just over time, they're accumulating all of this trauma. Uh Um, Although I will say, I think this show, better than any other show I can think of right now, does a really good job with character continuity and with things like having consequences and being explored over seasons. So I think it does a good job with that generally. I don't think trauma is just brushed aside the way it is on other shows where you're like, oh yeah, these people almost died, but like now it's a new episode and forget (laughs) about that. But there is still this sense that like the fact that they would be able to just zip around space and go on these adventures and be okay is just like, ridiculous (laughs) ridiculous <laughs> you know yeah well you take like one episode it would be like that would break anybody <laughs> you wouldn't they've, come back they've got from like that.
1: they've got like families on the on the,
0: the yeah. enterprise
1: you know and so it's like this is which actually this is, it brings up a, a question for me because they just do the sauce the sauce step they just do it like <laughs> that but i remember in a later episode it's like a whole fucking process like they're moving yeah. people and they're like shifting like you got all non-essential people in one thing so I'm like I don't know that uh, anyway but all that to say there's a lot of people on that ship so you know like that's a lot of people to be really significantly impacted by very traumatic situations
0: yeah if I remember I think it's over a thousand people there's an episode at some point where that's like relevant because they keep counting how many people are on the ship uh-huh. but it's a lot of people uh-huh. and yeah it's kind of ridiculous to think they would do this sauce step and like uh-huh. only picard and you know the three other people would be in the entire saucer no it's- especially since they were having to communicate via like printed out memos
1: yeah it's it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's absurd yeah
0: well yeah. <laughs> the whole thing's absurd yes. uh which, you know, is what we love about it. Yeah. I don't need things to be scientifically accurate like other people. I just need them to be entertaining. Uh-huh. If they are scientifically accurate, that's fun. Uh-huh. But I don't, need, I don't need that to happen. Um, but, yeah, the whole thing was just so silly. You could tell they were like, oh, this is going to be like a really cool move for the first episode. We're going to sauce step, <laughs> <laughs> saucer And it's like, okay, I guess. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. Uh,
1: I wonder if it, someone's already taken the email saucep at gmail.com. I mean, I think I think that should be Ooh. I think that should be my new email address. <laughs> hey guys, just reach out to me as saucecep. You know, you know <laughs>
0: this, this guy. <laughs> They're like, oh, that fucking guy. Yeah, that guy. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Well. I um, am noting my favorite quotes from each episode. Oh, okay. And spoiler alert, they're probably all going to be from Data because Ooh. it's just my favorite. Did you have a favorite from um, Data this episode? I do. Oh, okay. So my favorite quote from Data this episode was, I will endeavor to function adequately. And oh. I feel like <laughs> that's me every fucking day.
1: <laughs> we are all Data <laughs> That is like, we're, we're I will all dated. Endeavor To function adequately. <laughs>
0: oh. I just thought it was so cute.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I relate to that.
0: I did also quite enjoy Q calling humans a dangerous, savage child race. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like, I feel like that's
1: pretty. You're not pretty wrong, accurate. Q. <laughs>
0: you're not wrong. Right. Uh, well, and this just shows the like, Again, the like Eurocentricity of the show, because they, they're they constantly talking about humans, but really they're talking about like white, yeah. like European yeah. and like Northern American humans. Yeah. You know, yeah. like like Hugh never brings up like, OK, humans may have done bad things, but they did them to other humans. And like Hugh never brings up like all of those people, like those people are also humans, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah, and it's like, it's the 24th century, and we've still got like basically two white dudes, two middle aged white dudes in charge of the Starship (laughs) Enterprise. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, okay, great.
0: But Mike, we have a woman as a head of security.
1: (laughs) I know. It's so progressive. I know. Look, I I just, there's a special place in my heart for Tasha Yar, so, you know, like, let's just <laughs> tread lightly here. She
0: does not do it for me, so I'm glad really? she does it for you. I was always like, why do you keep telling me this bitch is so hot? I just oh, don't see it. I
1: think it's because, like, well, I, I don't know, we can get into this in episode two, maybe, but I just, like, she also has this, like, kind of, like, shady backstory and, like, seems, like, very needy, mm-hmm. but is also, like, super strong. <laughs> and... As like as like a little like Wesley Crusher boy who's like soft and squishy, <laughs> like the idea of like a, a Tasha Yar in my life, like I just need like this like really strong, and I'm sorry I'm just I'm really being hetero right now, but like there's just something very appealing about being this soft squishy boy who has like this like strong head of security who's who also kind of needs me too because I'm like sensitive, Aww. you know, and she's kind of so Yeah, she's kind of you know she's got problems.
0: She does have problems. Yeah. Oh, Tasha. Oh, Tasha. We barely knew you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. But she she's not around for the whole series, though.
0: No. She leaves the show, like, seven episodes. Maybe it was longer than that, but I feel like she didn't even make it through season one. No.
1: And I because I think, like, yeah, her departure goes with Worf's ascendancy, I, I, I think. Because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, because I was a little, I was like, Worf, like, come on, man. Like, are you going to make a show, make a showing in this episode? Like,
0: I know. Yeah.
1: Like it's just one time you just get yelled at for being too aggressive. Like I was like, (laughs) great. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Star Trek.
0: Cool. (laughs) Yeah. The show, oh my God, this could get us on a whole other tangent, but the show has so many issues with this. This is such a good example of like the show trying to do something, but having no ability to do it. So we're supposed to be peaceful, right? And we're supposed to like, the Enterprise is supposed to be this exploratory vessel, the science vessel. But then every time it comes to security, all of the people in a security position are just like hotheads. Yeah. Like yeah. they're always just like trying to punch everybody. That's all yeah. they do is just punch people. Yeah. And they're very ineffective. And then Picard is always like condescending to them. Yeah constantly <laughs> so it's like they can't even like wrap their heads around like okay what would what would security or what would like this this function be in this new world where you know we're so much better and we're not violent and all of these things and they just can't they go the opposite direction uh-huh. they're like just pure testosterone knocking heads you know like, not even waiting for someone to like respond we're just gonna punch everyone yeah and you see that even tasha because i noticed it with Worf when I rewatched earlier in general and I had feelings about that because of like race mm-hmm. you know it's like of oh, convenient that like one of the main black cast members belongs to the species who's like violent and you know very aggressive yeah. and whatever but then I realized I mean I, I do think that that still stands but I realized with Tasha that like she's acting exactly the same way. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, I think they just don't know how to write this position without it just being a caricature of like what someone would be like. Like they're just bouncers yes. from like clubs in really, you know, shitty neighborhoods or whatever. Yep. <laughs> it's like that. That's their idea of what security on this like galaxy class ship would be like. Well, yeah. And it's a weird distinction, like
1: to be a security officer, because it's kind of like, yeah, mm-hmm. what you're right. Like what do they do? You know, it's like I mean they escort people to places. Yeah. You know, but like they don't it doesn't
0: And then they it doesn't punch s- them heads. Yeah,
1: exactly. I'm mean, like do they have a special skill set like why not just send like, you know, why not just program a bunch of androids in like these Yeah. head bashing techniques, you know? I don't know. It's just <laughs> right. it, it, like, yeah, it, it, that one seems kind of weird. Like engineering, like I get, it's like, yeah, you got to make sure the core doesn't melt down and the ship doesn't blow up and you got to make us go fast when we're getting chased. Like, okay, I get right. it. I get what you're doing here, but.
0: Well, and I could kind of understand if they're like, yeah, strategists or something. Mm-hmm. But that's what I mean is like every time one of them tries to propose what they think should be done, it's always like the most aggressive thing. Yeah. And then even um in that episode, Picard because Tasha Yar was like, oh, we should fire on um, Q, <laughs> yeah. basically. And Picard's like, do you really think that we should try to attack an immortal, um, omnipotent being? Is that really what you think? He was just like such a dick yeah. about it. And she was like, oh... uh no (laughs) just like humiliated
1: well when you put it that way maybe not
0: (laughs) it's like picard i agree with you but also you're the hothead who just went and antagonized this being that's why it's chasing you so like maybe take it down a notch you know maybe don't be so fucking arrogant yeah so, yeah, it's just and that happens to Worf time and time again is like Worf will say like, oh, sir, I think we should do this or let me do this. And, you know, it's just always like, no, you like that's not the right thing to do right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like they never get to feel like specialists in their field the way that other characters do. Yeah, They just always seem like they're these like blockheads who just yep. don't get it. It's like, ugh. These fucking hotheads, you know, if you need them to punch someone, they're great. But otherwise, they're just <laughs> running around yeah. being all violent.
1: Yeah. If you need, if we need somebody on an away team who we can kill off, you know, that's that's the job of security. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
0: Exactly. So anyway, yeah, Tasha, I, I'm sad that she didn't stay on the show and get... Because I think over time, like, the writing got better and better. And I, I think agreed. she does have an interesting backstory. And I think yeah. she they would have done really cool stuff with her character. Yeah. Um, supposedly the actress asked to leave Uh, because she thought she was going to get bored she's like all I could see is that I was just going to have to run around every week being like yes captain yes captain which fair you know but I'm also like I wonder if something else was going on there I'm like was someone harassing you are you okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah and maybe not but i just it's it's too bad cuz i'm like if that is actually why you left i feel like that was a big mistake because i feel like well to be fair though i don't think the women got the same treatment as the men i think the men got really interesting story exploration yes. i think the women yeah. did not so fair she probably wouldn't have gotten and she just is as like much development so
1: overtly sexualized like very early on Ugh. in the show so it's Dude. like you know what i mean it is
0: uncomfortable yeah like she must be somebody's type on the show because holy shit like damn
1: yeah I mean so I would not be at all like at all surprised if the yeah if the whole take was like you know what I don't get paid enough for this shit like you guys can find somebody Mm -hmm. else to to run around and be sexualized um not saying that I know anything because I know no backstory whatsoever about um the acting or anything but Yeah, it would that that would just seem exhausting. I think on that kind of a set.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a public statement from her that I read. Was she was Mm. like, it just seemed that I was just going to be doing the same thing over and over, and that just wasn't interesting to me. But yeah, reading between the lines, I think, especially after watching the second episode, I was like, yeah, you probably just were like, I don't know, like this is not fun for me. Yeah. Yeah, Ooh. Big time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, did we say all the things we had to say we, <laughs> about this monstrous pilot? I think
1: that and then some. Um, you know, we had a lot. <laughs> it was a double episode. Let's, let's you know, let's be honest. So we took some time.
0: Mm-hmm. It was even more than a double episode, I think. Yeah, you, oh, you're right. Because it was an hour and a half. Yeah, you're right. It was a full hour. And, and most of the... Yeah. Yeah, most of the episodes were like 35 minutes, uh-huh. somewhere in there, uh-huh. 40 minutes. Yeah, so it was... A monster. Yeah. It was a big, big boy. Yeah. Yeah. We got through it, talked about it, talked about a lot of upcoming stuff, which is really exciting. Yeah. So, if you liked the show, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) We're so excited to launch this project. Uh, Thanks for being here with us. And uh, tune in next week when we talk about uh, episode two, The Naked Now, where the crew gets really horny
1: <laughs> i thought i was gonna like it way more than i did
0: <laughs> oh yeah i had moments of pure joy like there are some funny fucking things that happen uh, but it's a very bizarre choice for a second episode Yeah, but it's like again we don't even know the crew yet and now everyone's trying to fuck each other like what off. is happening yeah. <laughs> i know well, actually you know it's, it's sounding
1: better and better the more i talk about it <laughs> i guess the next episode you're gonna have to come back for the next episode Yeah,
0: you're just going to have to tune back in. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week.
1: Okay, bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for joining us today on our mission, comrade. To keep this galaxy-class starship chugging along, we need your help. If you like the show, consider supporting us by leaving us a good review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. Follow us on Instagram, share us with your friends, promote us on social media, or become a financial supporter of the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash redshirtcollective. Now, get off my ship.